five, four, three, two, one. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. Here we go. It's game time. Welcome to Sports and More, where almost anything goes. Coming to you from the marsh just outside of Edmonton, Alberta, here's your host, Dean Millard. That's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. Nice to be in orbit. Thank you very much for joining me on this 10th episode of Sports and More. Uh, my name is Dean Millard, and I'm uh, glad you have joined us on this Monday afternoon. It'll be our last show on a Monday. We'll be moving this uh, program to Tuesdays in August when our next program will come out. I'm heading out on vacation uh, tomorrow, back to God's country, Manitoba, southern Manitoba, and... Uh, North of Brandon, going to go to Clear Lake and hang out with some friends and family. So this will be there will be no show next week. Um, so you can uh, check out uh, the archives if uh, if it's a good time for you to check out the archives and uh, listen to our interviews uh, with Kelly McCrimmon, uh, Rob Shrimp, Olivia Chang, uh, Krista Monson, Kevin Dabbs. There's been some really really great conversations. Of course, Bob Stoffer last week. Big thanks to him for coming out to Podcast Alley, and today. We got another big media guy lined up for you. Uh, I'm a big fan of this guy. He's a fun person. What you hear on the air is exactly what he is. He's a great storyteller. It's low tide. Alan Mitchell, he's going to join us. Of course, you can hear him 10 a.m. till noon, Monday to Friday on TSN 1260. I loved working with him. I didn't get to interact with a lot of people a lot because I was on at nine till midnight, most people, uh, it was basically myself, um, a couple other ladies that worked at the Bear and Virgin, uh, my producer Hernan or Connor Halley, whichever uh, time point it was, and uh, some security guards. So I didn't get to interact with Low Tide a ton, but when I did, I really, really enjoyed it. So he's going to join us for a conversation. We'll split it in two like we usually do. We'll talk a little bit about uh, the Edmonton Oilers, what happens moving forward, and we will discuss uh, his love of baseball his chopping of trees, and how he ended up on the airwaves. So we're going to talk with Low Tide in a little bit, but uh, let's uh, talk about the big news in the last little while for the Edmonton Oilers, and that is uh, James Neal for Milan Lucic. Uh, this is something that Hernan and I on Sports Night talked about a lot, as, as did a lot of other people, but it just seemed to make sense. At first, people, uh, including myself, were kind of thinking, Maybe it's Louis Erickson that uh, the Oilers uh, could trade Milan Lucic for. And I'm, I'm glad they didn't. I like James Neal as a better fit. I think Milan Lucic was never going to fit in your top six as an Edmonton Oiler. And I think James Neal has the potential. There's no guarantee it's going to work out. Certainly it didn't work out in Calgary. But there's a couple of reasons I'm optimistic about this trade and this new face in the Oiler lineup. Uh, James Neal has averaged almost 30 goals per season. It's uh, j just just under 29 goals a year. He is 31, and he is coming off his worst offensive season. But two things uh, have me optimistic. He's played for Dave Tippett before. And the other thing is, 
When he signed in Calgary, he was coming off a run to the Stanley Cup final with Vegas, short summer. He's going to be motivated, obviously, and he's had a whole summer to train, and he's been training with Gary Roberts. I think James Neal is going to come in fit, motivated, and ready to rock, and he is a shooter, and that's what the Oilers, I think, desperately need. I think the Oilers are going to start with McDavid, Drysaddle, and Cassian. I just, I, I think they ended last year particularly well, so I think they're giving them a shot at uh, sticking together and reclaiming a little bit of that chemistry. Um, and then, you know, the question is, do you keep those two together? You can have Nugent Hopkins and Neil on the second line, and then I don't know who fills in on the right side, but you can interchange. And the one thing you're going to hear from our conversation with Low Tide in a bit is that Dave Tippett loves to make line changes. So there might be a lot of McDavid with Neil, uh, Nugent Hopkins with uh, Neil, or Dreisaitl with Neil, uh, maybe all in the same game. And then maybe you go McDavid, Dreisaitl, and Neil if you need to really pour it on. I don't know. But I know that Ryan Nugent Hopkins, if this does work out and Neil is on his left side, is going to have a trigger man. Uh, he's going to have, he'll probably be one of the better line mates he's had in a long time. So we're going to discuss that further as we go along in this show. Also, Brian Wiseman is uh, being uh, reported to joining uh, the Oilers staff, and that's being reported by at Jeff Cox on Twitter. Uh, he was at Michigan, uh, was Brian Wiseman. So it sounds like he's going to join Dave Tippett's staff, and we'll see what else Ken Holland can do. There's not a lot of room or money left. Um, you know, as Bob uh, mentioned, Tyler Benson could be an in-house potential uh, top six guy, and maybe... That's a, maybe that's a, a run that goes for 15 or 20 games uh, for Tyler Benson. And maybe Sam Gagne fills in for 10 games and has a good run, and then that wears out. And then there's Chase on and, and on and on. Maybe it's a rotational spot. I don't know. We'll have to see and wait for training camp and see if there's anything else that shakes loose um, between now and then. Now, over the weekend, Major League Baseball had its Hall of Fame induction ceremony. I saw this on Twitter. I wholeheartedly agree with it. Jim Matheson has been a guy who has been flying this flag that the Hall of Fame induction ceremonies should happen when there's no games. There should be no games on Hall of Fame Day. That that should go in the NHL, and it should be in Major League Baseball. And I saw on Twitter somebody said, why not have it during the All-Star break? And I'm like, yeah, why not have it during the All-Star break? Then your current All-Stars can rub shoulders and learn from Hall of Fame players and the best players the game has. So I think this should happen during All-Star Weekend. You could have the All-Star players mixing in with the Hall of Famers during the All-Star game, and then you do the induction ceremonies on the Monday after the All-Star when there's no games. I think that should be a no-brainer, and then everybody can focus on, this is you're honoring the best players to ever play your game. Let's give them the biggest stage possible so that's what i think uh i don't really have uh, a whole lot against this year's class that went in I, I can't you know i was on the fence with harold baines and then jordan lundell who i do the prospects baseball show podcast with uh which you can also find at podcast alley at dnlr.ca uh, he convinced me about harold baines uh, i was on the fence but uh, i think harold baines is uh definitively a hall of famer uh, we're gonna have some hall of fame talk in a little bit as well uh, on the uh, entertainment side of things and we like to uh, dive into pop culture and entertainment from time to time tom hanks as mr rogers not sure if you've seen the trailer yet for uh beautiful neighborhood but it is tom hanks as mr rogers and oh my goodness it looks 
looks pretty close to being Mr. Rogers. Uh, doesn't have that unique voice, but Tom Hanks. It sounds a little bit like Forrest Gump, actually. Uh, but it's uh, it's awesome. I, I'm, I'm looking forward to that. I was, as a young, young kid, remember watching uh, Mr. Rogers. And it, it, it got me thinking, when I watched Val Kilmer in The Doors, I thought they used actual archival footage of Jim Morrison because he looked exactly like it. So um, I'm wondering, that might be a top three at some point about uh, guys who look exactly like the character they were playing because, man, Tom Hanks looks good as Mr. Rogers. And also, uh, Eddie Murphy signed a, a stand-up deal with Netflix. I know this is a little bit older, but it, I went from Tom Hanks as Mr. Rogers to Eddie Murphy stand-up because I thought of Eddie Murphy as Mr. Robinson. Do you remember that uh, skit from SNL? Mr. Robinson's Neighborhood. Uh, it was Eddie Murphy as the anti-Mr. Rogers. I thought it was quite funny. Uh, but I'm looking forward to seeing Eddie Murphy back on the stand-up uh, uh, tour, if you will. Uh, Going to sign a deal with Netflix or has signed a deal with Netflix. Um, Delirious and Raw, two of the best stand-up comedy specials uh, that are out there. There's a lot of good ones out there, but uh, those are two of the best. All right, before we get on with the rest of the show, just a, a quick announcement. If you missed it on my uh, Twitter handle, which you can find at Duck Mollard, uh, I'm going to be joining the 12-ounce sports radio Network. Uh, we will quench your sports thirst with Sports and More live, 2 p.m. Mountain Time, daily, starting September 3rd. So the show, Sports and More, will be live. Sports and More live on the 12 Ounce Radio Network. Um, I'm really looking forward to joining this group. Um, you know, they're passionate about broadcasting, and it's a platform where I can still broadcast daily, bring you my thoughts, and uh, we'll see where it goes from there. So, Sports and More Live will start uh, the Tuesday after Labor Day. Good time because camps are open, or opening rather, uh, the NFL, CFL, baseball, of course. Uh, so, there's a lot of good stuff going on in September. We will launch Sports and More Live September 3rd. It's a Tuesday on the 12 ounce radio network hmm what's on my mind today <laughs> i don't know you want answers i don't know what the hell he wants let's get into things let's get real this is the myron french question of the day i'll read you loud and clear 10 4 all right to get in touch with us for uh, any of our uh, segments that we do it's pretty simple, at Duck Millard on Twitter. You can get us at Sports and More Podcast on Instagram. On Facebook, it's Sports and More 35. And if you want to email us to get involved with the show, it's sportsandmorepod at gmail.com. You can also check us out on our website at sportsandmore.ca. So the Myron French question of the day. Now, by the way, Myron French, high school teacher, taught me law and would start off every class with the question of the day. Sometimes it would take up the whole class, and those were the best times. So that's what has always inspired the Myron French question of the day, to get the conversation going. You can join us on uh, Twitter, at Duck Millard, because that's where I put out this poll question uh, for the Myron French question of the day. And it is, how many goals will James Neal score for the Oilers this year? How many goals is James Neal going to score? It's a, a poll question, so you can vote at Duck Millard. And uh, the choices 
that I threw out there are four, uh, four different ones. Less than 20 goals, 20 to 25, 25 to 30, or 30 plus. And 20 to 25 is where more than half of the over 2,000 votes that have gone so far at Duck Millard, 55% saying 20 to 25 goals. The next highest is less than 20 goals, so 32%. So most of the people think it's going to be in the 25 or less. 10% say 25 to 30, and 3% of the over 2,000 votes uh, at the time of this recording saying he will have more than 30-plus goals. I went 20 to 25, and I'm on the high end. I think at least 20 for James Neal, and I think he could get to 25 uh, or more. Um, so I'm I'm in the uh, 25 uh, to 30 range with at least, because I think he gets at least 20. It's interesting. Uh, most of the people say 20 to 25. The next is less than 20. So I thought there maybe would be more people optimistic, but we'll see what happens. As mentioned, I think uh, James Neal is going to be um, worked around the lineup, and I think he can get some power play time. He scored 18 power play goals with the Penguins when he scored 40 the one year, and he played down low off to the side. He can play both sides. Um, if you have uh, McDavid, McDavid running it, and then you could have Neal, Dreisaitl on the other side, and Nugent Hopkins in the middle with Clefbaum at the point. I know it's lefties, but we'll see what happens. Um, I guess you could work Chase on in. The problem is I just... I, I the the first power play has McDavid on it. It has to be out there for a minute and a half, and then your second power play time. If you're putting James Neal on it, he's not going to get as much production. So I think uh, that he can get 20 goals and uh, upwards of 25. I'll say high end 25, at least 20, and uh, you know maybe if he gets like uh, 10 of those on the power play, I'm not sure, but uh, I I just think it gives uh, the opportunity of him to play with some really good setup men and shoot the puck a lot. So I'm going at least 20. So at Duck Millard is where that poll question uh, is on Twitter. And uh, you can have your say. Um, Moog, the optimist, says, if a guy like Chase Hunt can pot 20 getting ice time with McDavid and Drysaddle, then a guy like Neil has the potential to light it up. Let's go oil. This one says uh, it's from Ian C56. Agree with your logic regarding Neil. I also think a motivated Lucic should be able to score between 7 and 10. I, I would uh, agree with that. Um, this says uh, it's from Kevin Klaus. It says I'm being conservative, 25 to 30 goals. He is still fairly young, yet should fit better in Edmonton. He is uh, 31, um, but it's not to say he can't bounce back this says interesting to see that three quarters of the voters think neil will at least triple his goal total from last year well he, i i I've, I've lifted off a, a number of reasons why i think uh, his season got off to a bad start last year so uh, that is the myron french question of the day how many goals will james neil score this year for the oilers and if uh, at any point you want to chime in on any of the conversations we have hit me up on twitter at Duck Millard. Three, two, one, and liftoff. Let's go! Time for your top three. Liftoff and the clock has started. Roger, zero G, and I feel fine. Beautiful, beautiful. All right, in our top three discussion today, we are talking about three players who aren't in Cooperstown. That should be. Major League Baseball induction ceremony yesterday, and uh, I'm uh, asking for three players who you think should 
be in the Major League Baseball Hall of Fame that are not. And I have always a uh, honorable mention that I want to go with. But I want to hear from uh, some others. Uh, Larry Walker, Pete Rose, and Shoeless Joe from Jordan Blundell, who I host the Prospects Baseball Show with. Tony Harrington says, Pete Rose, Will Clark, Pete Rose. Uh, Sorry, I meant to put Barry Bonds as third, not Pete Rose again. Uh, That's good. Uh, He's saying maybe Pete Rose could have been in twice. Uh, Rob Soria says, off the top of my head, and not including steroid era or suspended players and players who are still eligible to be voted in, Lou Whitaker, Fred McGriff, and Dave Parker. Special mention to Al Oliver, Bill Madlock, and Don Mattingly. Uh, Barry Bonds, Jose Canseco, and Shoeless Joe from Smooth Oil. And uh, Chris, this is a great list from Chris uh, Chris uh, Kushnerick. Controversial guys, Rose, Bonds, Clemens. Honorable mention to McGuire and Kurt Schilling. I think all those guys should be in the Hall of Fame. It's crazy that they're not. Less non-controversial guys, Don Mattingly, Keith Hernandez, and Larry Walker. Honorable mention to Omar Vizquel. Uh, so I went with uh, my honorable mention is Oral Hershiser. Love the Bulldog. Dodger blue in 88, won a World Series. I went on to Cleveland. I loved. So he's in my Hall of Fame. I, I, I'm not sure. He doesn't get into the Hall of Fame, but uh, I, I'm a big Oral Hershiser guy. Uh, number three, I'm going with Barry Bonds. Barry Bonds is my uh, definitive Hall of Famer. This is the guy who saved baseball and then they want nothing to do with him like baseball was in real trouble in the 80 or the late the late 90s and bonds and mcguire and sosa he, they brought everybody back major league baseball knew it was happening and they turned a blind eye because the home run races were bringing people back to baseball so how do you have a guy who has hit the most home runs in a season and the most all-time, not in your Hall of Fame when you knew what was going on. So, I listen, I don't agree with what they did, but nobody from Major League Baseball tested for it or asked the, you know, called them out on it. And, you know, they loved the money that was coming in, but now they don't want anything to do with these guys. Larry Walker's number two for me. Rocky Mountain High or not, he was still a dominant player at his position in his era. From 95 to 2003, he averaged 35 home runs. Larry Walker was a pretty awesome fielder as well. So I know people say uh, if he wouldn't have went to Colorado, but he still he wouldn't have that many uh, home runs, etc. I guess there's something to that. But come on, man. This guy was sheer power. In 1997, when he won the MVP, he was dominant. He was a powerful, powerful hitter, uh, and a great guy for baseball. Um, you know, if you're, you know, I, you're going to sit there I, anyway. Larry Walker should be in the Hall of Fame. Don't get me uh, started uh, going on too long because the next guy I have, I will go on forever, and that's Shoeless Joe Jackson. Shoeless Joe Jackson, the guy who was banned from baseball because of the Black Sox scandal of 1919 in the World Series. Despite the fact that, and if you've watched Field of Dreams or read the book from W.P. Kinsella, who's just from outside Edmonton, uh, Shoeless Joe is the book, you would know the famous scene where Kevin Costner goes off. And this is what I'm going to imitate, where Shoeless Joe hit 375 
had an OPS, which is uh, on-base plus slugging, of 956, drove in six runs during the World Series in 1919 that he was supposedly throwing and became banned from baseball with the other seven Black Sox. So Shoeless Joe should be in the Hall of Fame, and I don't care what anybody says, um, I will uh, I will defend Shoeless Joe Jackson for a long, long time. So those are my top three. Honorable mention to Oral Hershiser. I'm going with Barry Bonds as number three. I'm going with Larry Walker as number two. And Shoeless Joe Jackson is my number one player that should be in Cooperstown Major League Baseball's Hall of Fame. The river is alone Joining me down here And the sun beats my soul And there's no shelter around here This is the Sports and More podcast with Dean Millard. A piece of wood Floats by. Does that mean she said goodbye? Hi, just because the level is low doesn't mean she has to just up and go. Oh, I'm so high. The river is very excited to welcome my uh, first and only guest of today's episode to the show. It is Low Tide, Alan Mitchell, of course, from TSN 1260, the lowdown with Low Tide, 10 a.m. till noon. And, um, I, you know, you're here, so I guess the station didn't fall apart when I left. <laughs> well, barely hanging on. And by the way, may I just say, this is a great room that you're recording this in. Uh, I'm looking at a Paul Coffey jersey, Guy Lafleur, uh, Tony Esposito, a Gretzky all-star, I believe. Moog, which I can only imagine doesn't ever move from that spot. No. Yeah. And uh, this is nice. You, you've, I, I saw a photograph before, but being here is very cool. Thank you. This is, there, there's a method to the madness. So the wall behind me that you're looking at, that's the Hall of Fame wall. Right. Every, every one of those guys is in the hall. Yeah. Um, Andy Moog, as you mentioned, he gets his own wall of fame. Right. So there's <laughs> my, uh, I, I found all these cards and we have an autograph. And and this wall behind you is the, the signature wall. So all those oh. jerseys. I managed to get uh, some signatures on from Nugent Hopkins and Holpe. Uh, I bought the Solani one, so yeah. that, that doesn't count as much. But uh, And then so the only jerseys that ever rotate are these three mm -hmm. and then that uh, jersey in there beside the Wayne Gretzky poster. Everything else is like almost nailed to the wall. I, I like that you have a plan, that you're way ahead of me. I, I got a bunch of junk that I one day will put on a wall. Yeah, I, so. I, I like to just collect as many things. And, you know, I spend a lot of time in here when, you know, show prep and mm -hmm. things like that. And I like to just look at different things all the time. So my favorite thing is this fur fish right here. Uh, a fur-bearing trout, it is called. <laughs> and that was in my basement since I can remember at my house in Brandon where I grew up. So I there used to be a, a letter that talked about how uh, the torch they were using that day, the flame froze on it, was so cold. And the story was my grandma bought this fur-bearing trout. And you... You have no idea how many people like literally ask if it's real. It's a real eye catcher. I mean, <laughs> it's, it's so having weird. grown up on the prairies, I'm not going to ask you if it's real, but but I will say that it's an eye catcher. It is. So, oh wow! Thanks for being here today. Hey, no problem. Um, and and we have a you know a lot of stuff to talk about. Uh, just 
uh, kind of word coming out uh, now that uh, there's going to be somebody joining Dave Tippett's coaching staff, uh, coached at Michigan. Yeah. So this is starting to become real for Oiler fans now that it's different names, different faces, different voices that they're going to be watching. And the big news, obviously, is they have now, in my opinion, a top six option where they didn't have with Milan Lucic. In James Neal, if you use him properly, which I don't think Calgary ever did, they do now have that top six option. Milan Lucic was not going to be productive in your top six. No, when they signed Lucic, I think they really felt he'd, he'd ride shotgun with McDavid and protect him and be the policeman. That really didn't last that long. Uh, you know, he had 25 even strength points in his first year, 27 in year two. I think by really maybe after January of his second year, the, the Todd McClellan opted to to go elsewhere. Maroon was pretty much established, uh, I'll say 20 to 25 games into the um, what would have been the 17-18 season as the guy uh, on, on McDavid's left side. And since then, it's been, and certainly since Maroon was traded, it's been an up-and-down situation for the McDavid line. Dreisaitl obviously has great chem. They tried Nuge there, but Dreisaitl seems to be a stronger fit. The, the James Neal acquisition, I think... Oiler fans are hoping that it gives them two scoring lines, uh, Nuge and Neal and and Leon with McDavid or or McDavid with Neal and Leon with uh, Nuge. We'll see how it goes. Dave Tippett is an interesting coach. He does a lot, a mind-bending amount of line shuffling. So I suspect we'll see all pairs and all combinations. Do you have to start McDavid and Dreisaitl together after the way they finished? Do you have to give that an opportunity to keep blossoming? Or like, like I was always a guy... That said, you, I, I think Leon Dreisaitl should be a center, and I think he should be the focal point of his line. And then he gets 50 goals, <laughs> and they both get 100 points, and I'm like, I don't know if I would break them up. It's it, it's really difficult because, or, like, I think Leon is a born center. He, he's a he's a bull. Uh, he can pu- push his way to the net. He can win battles. Uh, so he, he has a lot of the elements you'd associate with a big-time difference-maker center. You know, I remember Nuge trying to compete in the Pacific Division against Anzai Kopitar, and to me, Leon has that kind of size and, and strength, and yet there's such chem between McDavid and Leon. And in a lot of ways, even when Leon's playing with McDavid, he he is the center. He takes lots of face-offs. So I, I guess when they stop scoring 91 goals in a season, those two, then maybe we'll think about it. But I don't think you can fault the coach for not splitting them up. And I'm the guy who believes that Leon at center is the right call. But when you're scoring that many goals as a duo, hard to break them up. Yeah, I, I, I think at the at the very least to start, I mean, uh, you're going to go with the, the most chemistry that has been there, and that's obviously it. But I think it also gives an opportunity for Ryan Nugent Hopkins to really take a, a step forward and, you know, maybe get into that high, like, uh, you know, 70-plus, 75-point uh, uh, plateau where a first overall pick as an offensive player probably should be. Maybe it gives him an opportunity. I don't know who's going to be on the, the right side yet, but it gives him a possible trigger, man. 
Yeah, and it's the, I think what Holland's done is gathered as many options for Dave Tippett as he can. He's got a speed burner in Nygaard who we don't know a lot about, but he can he can definitely skate. And then there's Cassian and Chase on there, the physical uh, elements that could be on that line. Sam Gagne's got a lot of size or a lot of skill, but not a lot of size or or speed. So there are some options for Tippett. I think we'll see all of them in all honesty, because Tippett is such a shuffler of lines. And then there's there's guys like like Granlund who who may May find their way to the top six when others are struggling. the The interesting guy to me is is Tyler Benson, who's likely ticketed for Bakersfield, and they have put roadblocks in his way. But the numbers that he put up last year, and the way he played late in the season, and even into the playoffs, and even when Cooper Maroney was hurt, I do wonder if we'll see. I think we'll see Benson deep into training camp if he plays well. And if he is sent down, I suspect we'll see him recalled sometime during the first 50 games of the year. Tyler Benson, for me, it would be amazing. If he comes out and at some point grabs a top six spot this year, that would be uh, progress that we haven't seen from uh, an Oiler forward in a long time. That wasn't a high top right. five pick. Lottery pick, yeah. I just look at him and I think he's barely a pro like one year of pro hockey, and he's just finally healthy. He missed so much time before. Is he going to be physically mature to play? In the, he's a big, strong kid, but he's missed so much time. I would, uh, you know, I would think of the, the the best thing if it was me, unless he bar, you know, pounds down the door and makes his spot, is to play at least a, a half season in the AHL. What will probably happen, this last 25 games of the year in the AHL last season, he scored 10 goals and had 32 points. And and I think it's most likely he gets sent down. And if he, if he posts that kind of number, they might call him up for three or four games. There's usually a taste that a player gets, then sent back down. Then the next time they recall you, it's for good. And my suspicion is that's what we'll see. Marodi got six games a year ago. He's also in that mix. Okay, so when we look at James Neal, uh, we do the Myron French question of the day. Myron French was a uh, high school teacher of mine. He taught law class, and he would start every day with a question of the day. And uh, oftentimes, it would take the entire class, and it wouldn't even be what we were studying, but it was just interesting conversation. Myron so, was a time waster. Myron, yeah. He, he, <laughs> Jeff, my good buddy Jeff and I were always hoping that the question of the day would take the whole class because sometimes it was like, his extracurricular activities that he probably shouldn't have been talking to high school kids about. Beautiful. But, so anyway, I go with the Myron French question of the day for each show, and today's question is, James Neal has averaged almost 29 goals a season, and he's played a lot of the games. He, he's, he hasn't been hurt a lot, but he's 31 and coming off, obviously, the worst season. What's the goal total? Less than 20, 20 to 25, 25 to 30, or 30 plus. What do you think you would go with there? Well, it's it really is dependent on where he plays. But I will say that that based on based on last year and the two previous seasons, if you weight them, you come in around 16 goals. I don't think it's a stretch to say if he plays on a skill line with either Nuge or uh, Connor McDavid that 20 is possible. So I'll say, did you say 20 to 25? Yeah. I'll say that. That's that's the that's the leading vote getter. At the time of this recording, it's 55%. The things that, that interest me about this poll question is more people think James Neal will get less than 20 goals than he will get 25 or, or more. So more people are thinking in like, the less than 20, the 19, 18, 15. I just think 
I think Calgary, like they didn't ever use him in the no, top they, six. He struggled and, and then they never got him back. Right. And he was coming off going to the Stanley Cup finals, did not obviously have a good summer. It was a short one. He's had a longer summer. He's motivated. He's worked out with Gary Roberts, uh, from what I've been told. Uh, and you know what? I'm not saying he's going to get 35 goals, but I think he gets at least 20, and I would go with 25. Here, here's where math can help you. He he was his shooting percentage was terrible this past year. If you look at the number of shots, he often gets over 250 shots in a year. So 10 percent of 250 is 25. It's not a stretch. I, I'm not. I, I'm not saying he's going to get to 30, but if you're asking me if I'd be shocked if he played with McDavid significantly, got power play time and hit 30, I wouldn't be shocked. His, I don't, it's been a long time since Oiler fans saw a volume shooter like this guy. He shoots the puck a lot. Mm-hmm. And it'll be interesting. You mentioned Dave Tippett likes to change lines a lot. Uh, you know, you might one, one period see Neil with Dreisaitl and then McDavid or Nuge. Uh, I think that's going to drive the fans crazy. Uh, you know, fans want consistency, right? And, and you know, Dave Tippett is a guy, especially early, he wants to see as much as possible. I, I might not sit so well with the fans in the beginning, but maybe it makes more sense down the road. Well, and it's, he, Tippett will be looking for chemistry. And then once it's established what the chemistry is, he'll keep them until, the, the goals dry up. That's what usually veteran coaches do. McTavish was like that. Uh, uh, certainly uh, Hitchcock was like that, but even McClellan was like that too. And so I, I think, I, I don't think Tippett will change there. If it's going well, he'll keep them, he'll keep them together. But as soon as, you know, you go a couple of games, especially on McDavid's line, because the expectation is he's going to get a point tonight, whatever night it is. So if he's not getting that, they move him off. But I, I think you could see a third period where they're down by two that starts with Leon McDavid and James Neal. And that would be loading up a line big time. Like those are three guys who can f- fill the net. The, the, the worry I always have, and it's because, I guess it's because, you know, the, when they brought Nugent, he was so young. I always worried that he's going to be the orphan. He's going to be out there with Toby Peterson and, you know, the ghost of, of some defenseman that, <laughs> that they picked up. And, and Nugent ends up usually getting the, the raw end of the deal in terms of line mates. So we'll see. But if, if he ends up getting James Neal, that'll be one of the best wingers he's ever had. Yeah, and, and in times when you might see Neal and Dreisaitl and McDavid together, uh, Leon Dreisaitl shifts to the right side where yeah. he's really effective. He's effective on, on both wings. Um, so if you, if you look at Nugent Hopkins and James Neal, uh, McDavid, Dreisaitl, it kind of leaves two spots open. Uh, I think... Especially if they start McDavid, Drysaddle, Zach Cassian gets a look on the the right side there. Do you think Zach Cassian is a good enough player to play in your top six without McDavid? Like, is he good enough to play with Nugent Hopkins in the top six, or does it have to be almost with McDavid or Drysaddle centering that? Line? I think it has. To, he has Cam with with McDavid, and he, you know, Cassian's a funny player. He's very streaky, so a coach has to be aware of when he's on, and when he is, he can score some gorgeous goals. I remember the opening night of 2016 season against Calgary, he scored a gorgeous goal, just a flat out gorgeous goal. And, and sometimes like, as we saw in the playoffs in 2017, he can get on a roll and he can, he can look like a guy who was a top 15 overall pick. He can see why scouts were teased by his ability. Now he can't bring it all the time, but he has enough speed and, and enough brawn that he can ride on that McDavid line. Now, someday the orders are going to replace him with a more talented player. Until then, 
I, I think when Cassian's hot, you play him there, and when he's not, you slide somebody else up. We talked about, uh, you know, Tyler Benson making that jump, and, uh, you know, the Oilers' prospects are, are getting better. Like, right now, it's really good, especially on the blue line, which we'll get to in a second. Um, but when, when I look at, like, this top six, um, I, I, I still wonder why Jesse Pugliarvi has not fully committed to coming back to the Edmonton Oilers um, you know, there, before James Neal, there were three spots available really in this in this top six. And now you, you assume Cassian will get one of them. But this seems to be uh, like I, I don't know where Jesse Pugliarvi could go in the NHL and get more of an opportunity than in Edmonton. Do you see it that way or do you see it as this is just fractured and they've got to go their separate ways? Well, I saw it that way until the agent basically told from what I can understand basically told was it spec I'm not sure who he told that even with the new coach and general manager they still weren't happy and makes no sense to me well at that point I think you shut the door like you've you've closed the door for a young man who's barely 20 and that is really a shame now what's happened since then is Holland has signed Chase on he signed Josh Archibald he already had Cassian and Gagne so you could safely say without a word of a lie that the Oilers may have already moved on from Yesopoliarvi. And if they can get a, a, a right-handed center who fits in, in trade for him, maybe. But Or if he shows up and, and it works out, it's a bonus. But do you think they're kind of... Well, I, I don't even on? know. I, at this point, they're at 50 contracts, 49, 48. Uh, well, they're at 49 contracts, 50 if they sign Pugliarvi. I, I We'll see. I, if they can trade him, I think they might. But... the. I think the options now might be either Europe or trade. I don't know whether there there's not a spot for him and they can't send him down. So it might be better for them to for the Oilers for him to play in Europe this year. It just seems such a waste. Like it's you know, listen, I think that the Oilers have mishandled this more than the player. The, I agree. The, I think the player is and his agent are mishandling it now. But to get us this point, I think this is squarely on the Oilers. This guy should have been in Finland his first year or the AHL. And then you see where it goes. But, you know, why with Kyler Yamamoto, you sent him down. Why didn't you do this with Pugliarvi? I think this was mishandled from the beginning. Late in his first year at training camp, I'm talking late, like late September, Todd McClellan said, well, he's not ready and we're getting, we're getting late and we'll see. And they kept him. And my suspicion is, I have no proof, is that, that, Peter Shirelli wanted him there. GMs can sort of put their foot down. And he played 28 games, had a goal, eight points. He was not ready. And that was the goal in his first game. Yeah. And then the rest was just, you know, and the next year he came back and I do think he had a little bit of, there was a period in in year two. I I can't remember if it was November or December, but he looked really good and he was putting up points and then he flatlined again. And and he really hasn't been resuscitated since then. I, I, my suspicion is that Ken Holland will not want to gift his new coach with a with a project, and I think, unfortunately, the, due to the way he's been handled, it's not his fault. I think he is a project, and I, I don't see him on the roster. I honestly don't. Okay, so when we're talking about that last spot, I guess uh, Neil's on the left side in the top six, the right wing spot with Ryan Nugent Hopkins if Cassian fills in on the top spot. Um, I, I don't know what they're going to do. I don't see anybody on this roster um, that I think should be there for 82 games. And maybe it's going to be like that, that that last spot in the top six by committee. Because I don't think you're good enough if Sam Gagne is there all year. And and I don't ha- know if Alex Chason is going to find the, the miracle tonic again to do what he did. 
but maybe it's 15 games from Chase on and you ride him and then maybe you bump Gagne up for a few games. I just don't see a lot of guys that are good enough to be there permanently. Pugliarvi has the 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 package, but he hasn't been able to be produced and he might not even be here. So what do you think happens? Or do you think it's still to be decided maybe elsewhere in the organization? Like, are they going to go out and get somebody? Well, looking at it today, the, the best offensive option is Sam Gagne. But I totally agree with you. I think he's, I think without the puck, he might be the poorest option. And I say that I, I really like Sam Gagne as a player, but, but just, he, he has different skills. Right. Yeah. He, he's, he's, if the puck's in the offensive zone, your money. If not, it's a it's a bit of a uh, uh, an issue. The the if Neil were to play right wing, you you might bring some muscle up on the left side in Jujar Kara, but he'd be playing even though he does score well without McDavid. He's playing above his head. I, I think the candidate, and it's not ideal, but I think the candidate that they'll go with, and and probably would be the the most NHL ready every night to play at both ends will be uh, Alex Chason. And I have real issues with it. I think Chason and Cassian are too similar as players. I don't think they bring enough offensively for either line. They're very much the complementary players on each line, but they, they needed, they needed Pogliarvi or Yamamoto to develop quickly. And that's one reason Peter Shirelli has gone, but neither of them, I think both of them need time away from the NHL and you know, I, I go back to Benson, but he might be the guy who ends up being the best bet longer term. Cooper Marodi is in there. Uh, I like Josh Archibald. I don't think he'll play up that high. But, and Granlund, I feel the same way. I just don't think he'll play on the top six. Right now, I would say Chase on Gagne. And maybe if you need a physical player and it's not Chase on, then you move Neil over to the right side and Jujarkar can, can break some, some, you know, Jajar Kara actually has some skill. It's just that he hasn't played on a skill line. I don't think he's a skill guy, but those are the options. They're not great options. I'll put it that way. I thought uh, of all the guys in the bottom six last year, other than, you know, Cassian when he got on the roll with McDavid, I thought Kyra was the best at stepping up to that second line if needed be. He can play a complementary role. Yeah, he can. Yeah, and and yeah. he doesn't get out of his comfort zone a lot. And when he does, he gets yanked back. Bound. Now, the bottom six is no problem. They have like oh, they lead the league in great bottom six yeah. players, right? Like there is a ton of them. Do you think Chase on, uh, because he's maybe a bit more all around than Sam Gagne? I mean, uh, Sam Gagne, I think, probably has more pure skill yeah. than Chase on, but maybe Chase on just a little smarter option in that top six that's going to get a lot of minutes. Uh, you want a responsible player out on the ice. Yeah, I I, I think Chason is a guy who doesn't hurt you as much. Uh, away from the puck, he he has an idea about where to be. He's very physical. He can win battles. Uh, he can help you keep the puck in the far end of the rink more, more than Sam Gagne. I like Gagne as a, a fourth-line guy who can move up as necessary. But a Sam Gagne, a line with Sam Gagne in the fourth line, should be able to outscore the opposition. He's all kinds of skilled. He really is. Is it's just that his he's he's got a strange set of of skills, and that he's not a big man and he's not a fast man, but he's a highly skilled man. And I think he'll get lots of power play time too. So let's look at this blue line for a second, and it's as deep as it ever has been for the Edmonton Oilers, which is a really good thing for them and their fans. It's. Right now, I, I think there are great opportunities and great challenges for the Oilers' management. They've got three guys who are 
going to be dra- or uh, waiver eligible a year from now in Lagason, Bear, and Jones. They've got to decide on those guys. I think Jones gets the first shot, but that's not written in stone. They also have Joel Pearson uh, and Evan Bouchard who are pushing, and Dmitry Sermarikov who may push later in the year for a job. Plus, they've got all these guys at the NHL level. That's one of the reasons why I think they they bought out Sekera. They have to make room for these guys. They've got so many who are pushing now. They've done the good job of scouting and developing. Now they've got to bring these guys to the NHL. Bouchard and uh, Sam Marukov, as you mentioned, are going to be exciting players down the road. They should be exciting down the road in Bakersfield for this whole season. Uh, the guy I'm really excited about pushing for a job is William Lagason. Uh, you know, since I watched him at a World Junior Tournament, I think it was in 2015, uh, he's not afraid to leave a tattoo of Sherwood on your lower back if you're in front of the net. Uh, a little bit like, uh, you know, the way Chris Pronger and Kevin Lowe played, that really nasty kind of defenseman. He's a nastier version of Adam Larson, I find. That's who I'm really excited about challenging for a spot. He's he's blocked by the other shutdown guys, who I count as Larson, Russell, maybe a little bit Nurse, but mostly Larson and Russell. But if he's ready and they can offload... I think Russell would be the 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 option. They want. I think they want to have a puck mover on every pairing. So if the top pairing is Clefbaum, Larson, that's Clefbaum's the puck mover. Nurse with Russell. Russell would be the the shutdown guy. Nurse would be the puck mover. Third pair Jones and Benning. Uh, if you're going to bring Bouchard up, say you'd trade Benning. If you're going to bring up Lagesson, I think you trade Russell. So those are probably in season. Uh, options for the orders, but but everything I've read about Lagus and everything I've seen about Lagus and tells me he's ready, but so is Jones and Bear is either there or not far behind. They're going to have to trade some of these guys probably in season, and I suspect the veterans. Well, yeah, I, I think you know g- getting rid of uh, the the Russell contract gives you so much more room, and I think Matt Benning is going to be passed by some of these guys coming up, so th- so they have to do that. Uh, you know, Ken Holland does not have a lot to work with budget wise here. Uh, so I'll ask you about the Mike Smith deal then. Uh, I thought that was a smart, incentive-laden deal. He's probably going to get to $3 million, But I think there's an opportunity, depending on what Miko Koskinen does, that Mike Smith plays more games. And I think they're bringing in Mike Smith to say, listen, we have Miko Koskinen in this contract thanks to the last guy. Let's at least, you know, if he could turn into a number one for even two years, we get something out of it. So I think this is them saying, you know, you're not the number one guy despite your contract. This guy could play more than you. Go out and earn it. Yeah, I, th- I don't think there's any doubt that if Smith outplays Koskinen, he'll get the net. What I'm hoping, and, and the Oilers haven't had it for a long time, is that they, they rotate the goalies so that at the end of the year, neither of them are tired. You know, people get mad at Cam Talbot. He played a lot of hockey early in his time here in Edmonton. And he wore out. And and I think Calgary made a good bet getting him this year. But you've got you've to play... The goaltender, uh, if there's three games a week, play the one guy twice and the other guy once. And if there's a back-to-back, never play both goaltenders. And Todd McClellan had a tendency to overplay his starter. If you look at Koskinen's first games where he wasn't overworked, he had about a 9.20 save percentage. Then they overworked him and he was right in the ditch, just like Talbot had been previously. My hope is that, that and, and I... Uh, you can only imagine that Dave Tippett is very comfortable with Mike Smith. So I think he'll get his games. But if they're after 20 games, they've each started 10, I'd be thrilled. That, to me, is what I'm looking for. Okay, before we get to, I want to talk a little baseball with you. But, but before that, uh, with everything that uh, Ken Holland has done, including Dave Tippett, the roster right now, 
Do you think they are a playoff team next year? Do you think they're, or, you know, where, where do you see this current roster with the coaching staff additions, et cetera, going next year? I think I'll say playoffs are 94 points. Uh, that's what my line in the sand always is. And, and I think they're, they're, they're better than they were a year ago. Uh, and they're going to be better. Partly, partly because of the moves that they've made, but partly because they're just people more mature and they should have fewer injuries, knock wood, uh, from Clefbaum and others. I'll say if 94 points is the line in the sand, I'll give. I'll say they're about an 88 to 92 point team. I think they need a third line center. I think they're going to have to improve their offense during the year, and I I believe they'll be able to do that because they'll be able to trade some defensemen during the season. Defensemen have high value during the year. They're they're not far away. They're they have done a lot of good work here. The bottom six scored very little a year ago. Josh Archibald had 12 goals. Granlund had 12 goals. If they get a center who's can score 12 to 15, then I I, I think they they could be a team that has three lines that score over 50 goals or 40 to 50 goals. And the top line you never worry about. They're going to get 100. They need to get. 210 goals from their forwards. Are they going to get there? Well, they need a they need a third and fourth line who can score. I think they've done a good job. That's my opinion. I'd say they're close, not quite there. Yeah, I think they're probably like a 10th place. Yeah, somewhere in there. The, I I think they'll be I think at the deadline they can trick themselves into thinking they're a contender, you know? And that's not bad. I hope people understand they were a tragically bad team by the time Peter Shirelli got done trading everybody. Yeah, or, or maybe at the very least, um, they make other teams believe some of their players are contenders, and yep. then you could trade. Maybe you could be like, you know what, we have an opportunity to get out from this contract, and yeah. so on. And very so true. On. The, the, there will be, I think, some trades of players in season, likely defensemen by the Oilers this year. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. This is best or worst. All right, we'll get back to that conversation with Low Tide in just a few minutes. We'll talk baseball, chopping down trees because of baseball, and his broadcasting career. A very popular man from 10 a.m. till noon on TSN 1260. But in best or worst today, talking about the worst decision involving golf. And this is not uh, on a whole um, decisions that I made to uh, go for it instead of uh, laying up or anything like that. This is deciding to play golf instead of doing something that would have been really amazing. So I was invited to go down to this golf tournament in, uh, I think it was in uh, Pinoca. And that was a good uh, golf course. I like it. I've played it before. So um, I decided to go and, um, I, I accepted the invitation and then I was like, oh wait, I looked at my schedule. I'm like, oh, we have concert tickets at Commonwealth with friends of ours that same day for Lady Gaga. And I'm like, you know what? At that time I was uh, doing a golf show and trying to, uh, generate some, uh, different, uh, things in the, in the golf industry. And, uh, you know, there's just some people in, in the golf industry in Edmonton that ter- have turned me off from the sport, uh, to completely be completely honest right now. Uh, hopefully I can get back into it. Uh, but at that time, uh, these people were uh, supposedly trying to help me out. Anyway, I decided to go down and play golf. Can you believe that? I chose the sport of golf overseeing uh, one of uh, the, the most iconic 
entertainers and musicians and singers in our generation and maybe ever. Uh, I can't believe I missed that show and I have kicked myself ever since for picking golf over Lady Gaga. And I, you know, like, listen, I, I know there's a lot of people that uh, love the sport of golf and uh, God bless you. That's great. But, uh, I just, uh, now when I look back at it, I'm like, I can't believe I did that. I cannot believe that I chose the sport of golf over seeing one of the, uh, one of the best of our generation. Speaking of. All right, this is the song called Pele. This is Sweet Bejesus. All the music of Sports and More is produced by Sweet Bejesus. Christian Gutzis and Kevin Dabbs. You can check them out on Apple Music. This segment is uh, Goalie Geek Out, accompanied by Pele. The song we're listening to right now about Pele Limber. And uh, this is where I talk about a couple of goalies, uh, one that I loved as a kid and one maybe not so much. And most of it is for childish reasons, as you will find out when I was younger and some would say I'm uh, still fairly childish but the only I'm going with I love is Daniel Berthume of the Winnipeg Jets and uh, he was part of a uh, tandem with Pokey Reddick who's a former Wheat King Brandon they're called Pokey and the Bandit um, so Daniel Berthume was obviously the Bandit and some good posters up and things like that and uh, I, I, I liked uh, Daniel Berthume I thought uh, I thought he uh, had some uh, some good times in Winnipeg and, um, yeah, just listen, Winnipeg was unfortunately in the Smythe Division, and they couldn't uh, get out of the Smythe Division um, or even win a playoff round because there were such strong teams, and they just never had the great, great goaltending. You look at, at the Edmonton Oilers, and the goalie I wasn't a big fan of, and I'll tell you for childish reasons in a second, but Bill Ranford won a Conn Smythe in 1990. Grant Fuhrer, obviously, Andy Moe. Uh, the Oilers had dominant goaltending. Mike Vernon was a very good goaltender uh, for the Calgary Flames when they won their Cups, so... Not a big fan of Mike Vernon because he was a flame and I was childish <laughs> when I was an Oilers fan. But the guy I didn't like was Bill Ranford. And mainly because in 1990, he beats the Jets out when they had him down 3-1. And then he goes up against the Oilers, or the Bruins with Andy Moog and he beats the Bruins. So he beat my home province team after they had him down 3-1. And then he beats Andy Moog and wins the Conn Smythe. I was not a fan of Bill Ranford. I've met Bill Ranford now a few times. He's a very nice man. But at the time, I was really not happy with Bill Ranford because he beat the Jets and beat Andy Moore. So, yeah, there you go. That's the reason I was not. Now, Bill Ranford uh, had a terrific 1995. Didn't start well in that series against Winnipeg, but they stuck with it with him, and he was eventually crowned. Con Smythe. So that's Goalie Geek Out, accompanied by Pele. Big fan of uh, Daniel Berthium, Pokey and the Bandit. Not a big fan when I was a kid of Bill Ranford. Like him now, not in 1990. 
Sam's Sex Shop. We're at the corner of Libido and Cleavage. Kidding. First of May, come down see me. Ask for Harry. I'm the guy with a snake on his face. I love you. From SCTV to the big screen. <laughs> wow. <laughs> John Candy was a comedic legend. Buck melanoma. Molly Russell's ward. Oh, oh, that feels good. Oh, God, I'm telling you, my dogs are barking today. We now celebrate another great John Candy character. I like me. My wife likes me. My customers like me. Because I'm the real article. What you see is what you get. Hello, Roy's Food Repair. Yeah, eggs. Yeah, we fix them. So that's John Candy as Roy from Roy's Food Repair on a program called The New Show, which had a short-lived run on NBC in the 80s. Uh, this is from 1984. Has John Candy owning a food repair shop. Starts with a lady uh, coming in with a cake her kids had uh, taken a few swipes at, and Roy is going to make it look brand new. Boy, oh boy, they really gouged it, huh? Yeah, they really uh, well, what I'll do is I'll smooth it out. I think I got a can of that color in the back. Uh, I'll go around the whole perimeter with it. It'll be fixed up for you, no problem. So it sounds like a pretty good mechanic, actually, for food. Uh, in comes Dave Thomas with a piece of cinnamon toast he dropped on his living room floor. I think it's got lint and stuff all over it. Oh, you got it. lots of lint on that. Yeah. A lot of lint. Okay, Rudy, tell you what I'm going to do. <clears throat> Shoot. I'm going to drop this in some liquid nitrogen and freeze it solid. Uh-huh. <laughs> And I'm going to take it out back, and I'm going to sandblast it. Uh-huh. Just about a millimeter or so, you know, get it right off for you. Okay. Then I'll throw it under the heat lamp. You'll have this uh, toasted and ready to go at about 4 o'clock. So various people bring in broken taco shells, salted pretzels, where the salt has fallen off, etc. Uh, then the phone rings, and his wife answers and has a look of terror on her face. Oh, my God. What is it? Yeah, I'll tell him. What? Yeah. Tell me what? What is it? You look white as a sheet. What is it? Roy, that was the sheriff. A Stouffer's truck jackknifed on Route 22. They got frozen dinners all over the highway. All right. All right, don't panic. Don't panic. You go warm up the car. I'll get all my equipment. Come on, let's go. Come on, time's wasting. Don't freeze on me, honey. So there it is, John Candy in Roy from Roy's Food Repair on the new show on NBC in the mid-'80s, another great John Candy character. Let's get back to that interview with Low Tide we had from earlier, and uh, now we shift gears onto baseball. Let's talk some baseball now, because uh, I know uh, you're a big baseball fan, and um, the Hall of Fame Induction uh, ceremonies took place yesterday. Wonderful speech from Roy Halladay's uh, uh, widow. It's uh, beautiful. Um, I still think baseball, and I think hockey should do the same. Do your induction ceremony during the All-Star break and give the current day players a chance to rub shoulders with the Hall of Famers. Yeah, I I agree. I think the way that it's done now is is old-timey you know it's it's like it's done and there's a hockey game in 10 minutes and you don't get very much attention put on the hockey players and baseball does a great job of building lore around their legendary players hockey does a terrible job of that you know uh, your your andy moog uh uh jersey up there 
Moog, his career is legendary. If you look at, at what it he is, did, yeah. but we don't ever talk about that. We're like, okay, oh yeah, Andy Moog, I, I think he's coaching somewhere now. My, one, my favorite Hall of Fame story is by uh, Gila Point, um, a, a media guy. I can't remember who it was. Gila Point was his hero. So he's at the draft. It might've been Gary Joyce, but I'm not sure. He's at the draft and he sees Gila Point. And he goes, oh my God, there's Gila Point. Gila Point walks over to him and he goes, hi, I'm Gila Point. I'm a scout with the St. Louis Blues. I mean, come the hell on. Like that's, that's Gila crazy. Point. There's there, anybody my age who grew up in Canada, you could find that nose anywhere, right? And, and But we don't do a good job of explaining Gila Point to any to the to the next generation and baseball does a splendid job of that and and the hall of fame induction is an example of that yeah and, and let uh let your current players hobnob with some of these guys so in our top three that we do for every show uh we just asked uh well we used to do it it was called hernan's world uh yep. when hernan and i worked oh he together. said to say hi by oh, the good, way yeah, good. yeah. yeah he, he still owes me money no, i'm just kidding actually. <laughs> I actually i probably owe him money probably everybody in that building owes yeah, you money there's, but <laughs> there's a custody battle right now between hernan and i over trademaster 3000 the <laughs> computer that we had so but anyway um we did the top three so the the topic this week is three guys that aren't in the hall of fame that should be. And, you know, my three are Barry Bonds. Like, I, listen, say what you want about Barry Bonds and that era. Um, it wasn't, there wasn't anything that they were told they were doing wrong. So I think the guy with the most home runs uh, in in all that jazz should be in there somewhere. Uh, number two is Shoeless Joe Jackson. Look at the numbers from the World Series in 1919. You can't tell me that guy was part of any scandal to throw the series. The guy hit the cover off the ball. He was ripping it. Yeah. And number one for me is, uh, or actually number two is Larry Walker. Number one is Shoeless Joe, but Larry Walker is a, uh, should be in the hall of fame. And my honorable mention is Oral Hershiser, but that's because I'm or, like, I would yeah. put Andy Moog in the hall of fame. He's probably not a <laughs> hall of fame goalie, but Oral Hershiser was my Andy Moog of baseball. So I just, I, I think, you know, and listen, it's subjective and it's the writers uh, hold grudges and, and things like that. And, you know, Kurt Schilling, I think is a hall of famer. I don't agree with Kurt Schilling outside of the ballpark, but the bloody sock and the the career that he had, he should. I think he should be in the Hall of Fame. So it's very political, isn't it? It is. I, I think people have to understand that oftentimes great players or great musicians or whatever are train wrecks as human beings, and yes. that they just are right. So it's not the nicest guy Hall of Fame. It's the best player Hall of Fame. Uh, I. My list is going to be somewhat similar to yours, but I'm going to change one name so it's not completely similar. But. Uh, I love math and I love I love uh, the the math of baseball and I think you can make a really good uh, um, case that Barry Bonds is the best player who ever lived and uh, you know I, I remember him as a Pittsburgh Pirate and he was a great player then his dad was a great he player. He could have had a Hall of Fame yeah. career if he never oh, went to San Francisco. Absolutely, his dad was a great player. By year two, Barry Bonds was better than his dad ever was, and so I I think I. I think it's an insult to baseball that he's not in the Hall of Fame. But I'll go one farther. It, as you said, it's an insult to to anybody with the power of reason that baseball somehow uh, allows Bud Selig to wander uh, freely about the world and Barry Bonds has to pay some kind of uh, a penalty for doing what saved baseball. Let's remember that baseball was in a big amount of suck before Sosa and McGuire and Bonds started ripping And who ripping was it. the guy in charge of baseball then? <laughs> yeah, Bud Selig. Yeah, he benefited from those guys turning the 
Major League Baseball around. Yeah, and they, but everybody acts as if I had no idea. Yeah. Oh my God, I'm shocked, I tell you. Terrible. So Bonds is my first one. Uh, my second guy, and this is a, you talk about your personal choices. Uh, I, Larry Walker, to me, is close enough for me to argue for him. And I don't think he's going to get in. But, and I think Colorado really hurt him. He went to a, a great hitter's park. And so even though he had great numbers there, people poo-pooed them. But he was a great hitter in Montreal, which was a cavernous place. And, uh, you know, he could have played center field, but he got hurt one year in the Mexican League and he had to play right field. Had a great arm, was a, was, was a, I think he qualifies in terms of, of career value. And, and there are some things in his, his peak value that you could, you could argue for. I'll say, I know he'll never get in, but I'll put him in as my second guy just because I can. Uh, and the third one uh, is, is somebody that I, I brought you a book as a gift. Wow. And the reason I did was I, I'm, uh, I'm getting old now and I have a massive collection of stuff that nobody in my family has any interest in. So this is the book that taught me about the Hall of Fame. It's called The Bill James Historical Abstract. Oh, wow. I don't know if you've ever, have you ever read it? I have not. Okay. It's, it is a book that I would read and reread and reread and reread before I had kids. Now I have no time to read. Uh, I'm busy working seven jobs. <laughs> but, but this book taught me about baseball's Hall of Fame. And it's not a, it's not a book you sit down and read like what at one time it's a book you read over like five years. It's a monster, but the player in here that he talks about that to me was the most compelling from my youth is a man named Dick Allen. Okay. Uh, Dick Allen is from the Barry Bonds, Ty Cobb, um, what other scoundrel Pete Rose, uh, group of, of people who are great players, maybe not great people. Kurt Chilling probably right, is in that exactly. category. I'll give you an example of Dick Allen. In 19, I think, 73, he hit 32 home runs before September 1st. The White Sox were out of it. They were 30 games out of the playoffs. And he said, I, I'm going home. I've won the, 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 the home run championship. There's no reason to play. We're out of it. I'm going home. And Chuck Tanner was the manager, and he said, well, well you know, what am I going to do? I guess he's going home. And he went home and he won the home run crowd. Like he was, he's not a great guy, yeah. but he was a great player. And and I think that, that the, the, the career numbers that he put up and the things that he did and could have done, uh, are so great that I think I, he had a long career too, but I think Dick slash Richie Allen belongs in the hall. And I'll, I'll, I'll just add one more honorable mention. And that's my childhood hero, Rusty Staub, who much like Larry Walker on a career value, he would make it, but please enjoy this book and, uh, don't read it all at once. Yeah. I, I I'm not going to read it. I'm leaving for Manitoba tomorrow afternoon. I won't have read it by the time I got there. I don't <laughs> yeah, think it's a long book. Um, it, Baseball for me is romantic. I don't. I don't know how you feel about baseball. Like I love baseball movies. Um, you know, Kevin Costner seems to be a perfect role for for baseball movies. And you know, Field of Dreams. I I love the the story Shoeless Joe from W. P. Kinsella, who was from yeah. just outside of Edmonton. Yeah. And, and and you know, I love those stories. I love that line of Field of Dreams. Is uh, you know, we were going to invite Ty Cobb, but nobody could stand him. Like it's just <laughs> the, the, there's just such great things, but. Baseball can also be frustrating as well, as as we know in Canada, watching the Montreal Expos lose their chance at a World Series and then lose their team. Like Heartbreaking. This, I went, I was in Winnipeg, living in Winnipeg when the Jets lost to the Red Wings in '96, and then they left town. I know exactly what that feels like. I'm grateful because the Jets have returned, 
Do you think it's ever going to, I know you get to ask this a lot. Do you think we'll see other than not, I'm not talking about split games with Tampa. No, no you're talking do about you the think real thing. We'll see the Expos back. I do. I don't know if it'll be in my lifetime, but I do. I, I, I talked to Warren Cromartie uh, a couple of years ago and he was absolutely vehement that they're, they have the long uh, game in mind. They're, they're will, more than willing to, to, uh, meet every demand made by Major League Baseball. The way the Jets, the way yeah. Chipman and and company yeah. came back into Winnipeg. Not yeah. the way Jim Balsilli tried to buy a team. Like yeah. you got to play by the league's rules. I, I think what happened in '94 soured Montreal and and baseball fans. And I think the reason it happened was you have to remember the Blue Jays had won two World Series and the Expos were on the way to maybe winning. There was them, them or Cleveland. I think we were going to win the World Series. So. I think Steinbrenner and Selig, uh, who show up a lot whenever I'm yelling, those are those are actually profanities at my house. <laughs> Don't you dare follow uh, Selig, I'll say. Uh, I think they there was a there was a sense of well, if we're gonna if we're gonna end this season, let's do it this year because you know, uh, and, and and I think it broke a trust uh, and it created a fracture. But you've had what 25 years? It's a long time. To, to get over it. The Nationals are the Nationals. I'd be, I almost would prefer an expansion team. I know that sounds funny, but I, I the joy of watching a team build to me is the the reason why I'm a fan. That's why I, one of the reasons I love the draft so much is, you know, like Ken Holland is here in Edmonton and people are like, oh, it's all, all the minutia gets wiped away if he's right on Broberg. And if he made the right decision to uh, not trade away Evan Bouchard for some forward this summer, and all of those things, the future will tell us. But we're we're seeing bets being made daily by Ken Holland in real time that we get to see the results of. And if you like gambling, this is I guess the long form of it. But I, I like watching teams being built. So if the Expos ever come back, I I think I'd like an expansion team. Who's your favorite Expo all time? Yeah, Tim Raines. And, and he wins over Vladimir Guerrero, who was in some ways uh, the Ryan Nugent Hopkins of Expos because he was like, he was just a kid. He's just like a, I remember the first home run he ever hit. I was watching uh, Dave Van Horn and Ken Zingleton on TSN and he hit it off of shoe tops. It was a ball. It's like watching Manny Sanguian, the old Pirates catcher, hit a ball. He hammered the thing and it was, it was a, Clearly, it might have hit him if he didn't hit it out. And I, I, from that day forward, I loved Laddie Guerrero. But Tim Raines was uh, um, one of the best athletes I've ever seen. And and he did things like go first to third on a single to the left field. And you're not supposed to do that. You, it's it's damn near impossible. And he always threw and to the right. Coaches don't like it no. if you try to do that. And he always threw to the right base. And and the one year that 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 baseball colluded. Uh, he couldn't play for the Expos until the 1st of May. He had a grand slam to beat the Mets at Shea that day, the, his first day back, and they finished 91-71, and 71, and they damn near won the division. If he hadn't been locked out, I bet they would have won the division. So the baseball gods were not Expos fans, <laughs> but I always was. So I loved Tim Raines, his aggressiveness on the base pass, yeah. as you mentioned. Uh, I, I loved Gary Carter, the kid, because I was a catcher uh, growing up. Uh, so what, who do, who do you like to watch today? Like, uh, you know, your Tim Raines and, and the Expos, who, who are your favorite players to watch today? You know, I, I, people always get mad at me when I say this and I don't know why, but I, I really don't watch a lot of baseball. Uh, when the Expos left, um, I, I, I felt like it was an orphan and I, 
I, for a while, I didn't know really how you were supposed, I thought maybe you're supposed to glom onto another team and that didn't work for me. And I, I read, a uh, some, some writing from a, a political person in the States. Her name is Doris Kearns Goodwin. And she is, um, she's sort of an expert on presidents. She writes books on presidents, but she grew she's up been in busy for a while. Right yeah, now. that's right. She, she. She grew up in Brooklyn and her dad used to go take her to the Dodgers games and then they moved to LA. And so she was an orphan too. And what she talks about that I have read is, is that she learned to enjoy the game for what it was, but she could, she, she never developed, a, a another team, uh, a devotion to another team. And that's, we're talking a lot of years now and I've, I've been unable to do it. Now, I know a lot of Jets fans ended up cheering for the, the Oilers, believe it or not, that I know. That's weird. I know. Uh, Just 1990 should disqualify any <laughs> Jets fan from cheering for the Oilers. I got to tell you this. My buddy, Dean Belanger, I don't know if you've ever met Dean, but uh, he, he's a he's a really good guy. He used to write for Hockey's Future, and uh, he's in town. And I said, I'm going to see uh, Dean Millard today. And he said, um, do you want to make him mad? And I said, no, I don't want to make him mad. He said, well, if you want to make him mad, say uh, the best year in sports was 1990. And he said, Dean will say, do you mean the football win or the hockey loss? Yeah. And you just say the hockey loss, of course. Um, yeah, the only good thing about 90 was the Bombers. Yeah. They kept putting the wrong goalie in Winnipeg. You know, that's the problem. <laughs> they played seven games, they had the wrong goalie in every loss. <laughs> oh, no kidding. That's kind of like uh, 2006 game one against Detroit. You have the wrong backup in. Do you know that, that the worst game I've ever seen a great goalie play was Billy Ranford against Winnipeg? In I think it was the first game of that series. He was garbage, and then they end up winning. You know, and he wins the Conn Smythe. Oh, and, he, and by the time they got to Chicago, they were on fire. I that just remember a, those uh, 80s, because uh, when I was an Oilers fan until 88, and then Moog went to Boston, and I swear, I followed him. Like, I, right. you know, I was the You're guy the that Mo followed guy. the player, right, yeah. instead of, uh, but but I just remember them, like, just, just tearing up, like, Warren Skordinsky or Murdy Bannerman, like, 9-1 in the <laughs> yeah. Campbell Conference Finals. Like, they were just uh, annihilating. So, uh, so you don't watch a lot of baseball. No. You don't play fantasy baseball anymore. No. And one of the reasons I love listening to your show is because you're a good storyteller. Please tell us the story of why you stopped playing fantasy baseball. Okay. Um, I don't remember the year, uh, but I won the uh, the Edmonton Rotisserie League ERL. I won it twice in about a 15-year period of being in the league. And you have to understand that the, the people in the league, about 20 guys from Calgary, Edmonton, everywhere, very intense people. A lot of them businessmen, uh, uh, Dale Wishawan, who, who runs Booster Juice or ran Booster Juice, uh, a lot of people in government. These are not homeless people in this league. They're, they're, you know, they don't need this league to drive them nuts, but they chose to have this league drive them nuts. So the intensity of the league was crazy. And the, I took, I took it way too personally. And, and I know that now <laughs> I, I do. I know that now, but. I'd be driving down the road and I'd be going, you know, I, I have a great job, a wife who loves me. This car is great. I got a house. I got two kids, but my pitching staff is going to kill me. And one day I, I was having a bad year with my pitching staff. And one day the Florida Marlins were in to pitch against the Colorado Rockies. And I had a pitcher named Chris Hammond. And what you did was, I think you had nine pitching spots and you had to, you had to 
$260 budget and you had, you filled in at the end. You, you had $4 pitchers, right? right? You guys were just, and I had Hammond. Just uh, rosters. Right, exactly. I had Hammond as a $4 pitcher and I openly hoped that he wouldn't pitch. That's how bad he was. So he gets to, uh, he's going to start in Colorado and I was mowing the lawn at 1045 and I went in after I'd done the back and I turned on headline news so that while I was mowing the front, I could just see through the, the just the, the, the front window, what the score was. Uh, and I finished mowing the lawn. It was 10 after 10 after 11 and I come running in and I see Marlins Rockies top of first. And then it flies through all the other scores. And then right away, it's bottom of the first. So the Rockies have have gotten the Marlins out. Now the Marlins uh, are in the field. And my guy, Chris Hammond, is pitching. And I'm supposed to be going out and cleaning up the yard, but I don't do that. And for, it takes forever. Usually it's about a six-minute period, and it flips to the top of the second. But it didn't do that. It was like 35 minutes. And I'm... You gotta understand, it's just headline news. I'm not watching a game. I'm yeah. just watching headline news. You're not news. refreshing the internet. And I'm getting madder and madder in my own mind. I'm drinking whatever I'm drinking. I'm like, damn it. They've they've buggered up headline news. And and then it goes, it's top of the second, or yeah, top of the second, four nothing Rockies. I'm like, damn it all. You know, and so I'm really mad. But then I'm like, okay, that's Hammond's out. He's out of the game. It's okay. So I had a couple other things I was watching on the headline news ticker for my other pitchers, and immediately the next time it's bottom of the second already. Like not like the the, the Marlins couldn't get anything going, and it's bottom of the second. And unbeknownst to me, Hammond is is still in the game. I did not know this at the time. The manager fell asleep and forgot so, to take him out. Same damn thing. It's now twelve ten, and it's by the time the it goes to the top of the third, it's seven nothing and or eight nothing and now it's top of the third and i'm like i'm i had spent an hour just getting mad like i built myself up to my pitching staff was already garbage now i'm probably in last in every pitching category and then the phone rings and it's sean friedenberger who's in the league nice guy sean except on this day so i pick up the phone and he goes oh oh chris hammond oh and i I fell into a rage. I I broke the phone. I slammed it. It was one of those little flat phones, and I slammed it so many times, I broke it. And it was just, like, scattered everywhere. And then I still had work outside to do. And I was supposed to go outside and, and just chip off a few, like, some, there was some underbrush on our tree, right? I was supposed to just take the axe and, and, you know, get rid of some of that underbrush and haul it to the back. That was what I was going to do that day. I was so angry. I went out and I caught, I chopped the tree down. The I just, whole the tree. Whole, I just chopped it down. And I was sweating. And my wife comes out and goes, what the hell are you doing? I'm chopping the tree down. And I chopped the tree down. And, and. And I carried it, and it was, it was a big tray. I carried it back to the back, and I'm like winded, and I ruined my shirt. I had so much sweat and crap on it. And I go back there, and I'm like, and I put it where the garbage goes, and I'm like, I killed a tree. <laughs> <laughs> but it was because of Sean Friedenberger and Chris Hammond. And that day, I, I remember saying to myself, you know, you probably are taking this a little bit too seriously. And I was. And so I think it was at the end of that year or the following year. I tried to not, but I'm not, I, are you in a, like a fantasy yes, football I or anything? Yeah. It's football, hockey, and baseball. Okay. And you probably got some friends who know how to needle you a little bit. Oh yeah. 
And if you take that too seriously, as I did, you chop down trees. So I'm just saying, don't get to that point. Pull back from the tree chopping. Yeah. And I, oh, I was. A $4 pitcher cost you a tree. And, and he was bad. Like he was, he was really, really bad. And I dropped him, of course. It didn't make any difference, but I dropped him. And he was, Colorado was, it was a, a, an ultimate hitter's park, but he was just a bad pitcher. And he, a few years later, a, a pitcher, a series of pitchers in Texas gave up, I think they gave up a run each at least. It was something like 19 nothing. And I felt a little better after. I thought somebody out there somebody has, has the that start. Yeah. <laughs> I know how he feels. Uh, so you're obviously 10 until noon on uh, TSN 1260. Yes, sir. Uh, you write uh, for uh, yeah. everybody. Yeah, The Athletic and for my blog now. I've written pretty much for everybody else. Though. That's right. And, of uh, course, yeah, you, your website is? Lowtide.ca. Okay. So growing up, uh, you're from Saskatchewan, right? Well, I was born in BC, but I grew up in BC and Saskatchewan. Saskatchewan. And, you know, what brought you to Edmonton and what made you eventually want to be on the radio. Well, when I was about 13, um, we had moved from BC to Saskatchewan in 1971. And I, I, I watched the 71, I watched the 70 Stanley cup final, although our TV broke, but I watched the 70 Stanley cup final in Burns Lake, BC. And then by 71, the Stanley Cup final, we were in Maidstone, Saskatchewan. So in that year, we moved. 70 was the iconic Bobby Orr. Yeah, that's right. Role. And and so we moved from from BC to Saskatchewan. My only, and it was, it was a big move. It was a big change. The two provinces were not similar. Uh, and my only connection to BC was I had this little Anik radio and I could get CFUN in Vancouver, the radio station that I had listened to when I was a kid out, out on the, the coast. And... It was my connection. I, the the Tom Lucas, uh, Jim Holt, Brother Benson, those those broadcasters were my connection to where I grew up, and I was very homesick. So I remember my mom always giving my dad hell. He'd say, I'm not getting you any more batteries for your stupid radio. And my mom would say, you get him batteries, Ira. Uh, because it was, it was, a, it was sort of a, it, it kept me going. It sustained me in a way. I became interested in radio for that reason. Plus I had an uncle who worked in the business in, in uh, Langley, BC. And uh, in 75, we went back and I toured his radio station and the one that he worked part-time for CJJC in Langley and then uh, CKNW in New Westminster. And that's when I sort of got hooked. I, I wanted to be in radio from that point forward. And I went to the Columbia School of Broadcasting, which uh, was here in Edmonton at the time, downtown. And, and that was in 1979, I guess I went there and then I got a job in 1980 in radio and I've been doing something in radio since then. Yeah. And sports talk radio, uh, you know, I, I know you did top 40, Yes, uh, but, uh, you know, sports talk radio is, you know, like, thankfully we have, uh, you know, there, there is the, the talk station that has some sports talk, but yeah. a, a fully dedicated sports talk radio station. Uh, it's you're you know totally up your alley. This it is, is what you were meant to do. I wish it had been around when 1980, but it wasn't. The the I always wanted to the, you know I have a passion for music and entertainment and 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 uh, you know television movies and I have a passion for for sports. So it's all sort of the entertainment sports pages. But I would have loved to have done this when I was 25 
but it wasn't available. So I, I just had to, uh, hang around long enough to be a part of it. But I, I thoroughly enjoy it. I, I, I think that, that the difference between 1980 and now is that people have more leisure time. And because of that, they're, they're more likely to drill down on specific areas of specific interest. Back then, you know, every radio station had a 10 minute newscast at the top of the hour right. and then a six minute sports cast and then three minutes for weather. And by 10, 20 or whatever time you were coming out and playing your first song. Now it's also specialized, you know, and I can see a day where we have more than one sports station, even in a city like Edmonton, because there's such an appetite for it. You know, nobody, I follow a ton of people on Twitter, but I also have lots of buddies and none of them seem to have been satisfied for what's out there now. They want more. So I don't know where we're going with this, but I do think that this format would not have survived in 1980, but I think 20 years from now, it's going to be even bigger. Okay. So last, uh, scenario, were you a Betamax or VHS, VHS guy? <laughs> uh, I have, I have my wedding on Betamax. Okay. I was a beta guy. Yeah. Well, beta is higher quality. I, that's what I said, but yeah. nobody would. Uh, oh no. And it, they should have won the war, but it's always about the yeah. PR. I was beta and I was also blue thunder, not airwolf. I don't know if you remember those two shows, the helicopter. Which or... one was the one with uh, Jan Michael Vincent? That I don't know. I okay. just remember Airwolf was like a well, popular, and I was blue. So I was always like the taking the underdog. Yeah, yeah. Right? Uh, the, I, I'm like that too. I, I'm, I'm. Whatever one is not going to win, I probably bet that pony. Yes. You know. <laughs> so where I'm going with this is, I'm going to give a scenario. You're on a desert island. Yes. And a Beta Max TV combo <laughs> washes up on the shore. It has <laughs> just enough battery left to watch one episode. This is cruel. And then in a uh, Ziploc bag, washes ashore, a DVD copy of Matlock, <laughs> Murder, She Wrote, or The Rockford Files. Oh, God. What? This is Sophie's choice of TV here. <laughs> Betamax, one episode on a desert island. It might be the last TV episode you ever get to watch. Or maybe uh, there's uh, another show that I don't even know about. No, uh, you, you've named the classics. Um I'll say the Rockford Files. He was so cool, wasn't he? And he was just the theme so song cool. was awesome. The doo -doo 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 -doo. You know, my my buddy uh, Terry and I, we we we'd spend hours talking about. I don't know if you remember Jim Rockford would he'd be in some kind of trouble and he'd jump in his car and he'd put it in reverse and he'd back up and then he wouldn't stop he'd turn and go the other way and coolest thing ever never been able to do that but I always wanted to uh, and and he always had the weirdest friends that's my favorite part of it like Angel was an ass who has a friend like Angel right? <laughs> and I do one day want to go down to where his dilapidated trailer was the shack or yeah, yeah it, was, it and, was a trailer yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and and uh but but there was real um there was there's real character in that show and that's that's why i liked it so I, the same reason why i like uh jessica fletcher and matlock is that they're they're not it's not too smooth i like that i like the, that it's not too smooth i like uh, i i i'm a huge western fan so i've been getting into a few james garner westerns he's actually had a uh a couple of, the ones with one Suzanne Plushatter, yeah, right? One with Jim Brown. Him and yep. Jim Brown were in a, a western together as well. You, you will, uh, you will develop a major crush on Suzanne Plushette when you watch all of the James Garner westerns. She is, she was, and uh, tragically passed away, but she was also in the New Heart, the first New Heart show. But she was a spectacular actress. Excellent, uh, Low Tide. You've been a spectacular guest. Thank you so much for uh, joining me. 
and uh, obviously continued success on TSN 1260. I appreciate that very much. Wish you the best of luck in your in your uh, new uh, podcast world. And uh, I think you're doing it right. Everything looks good. Oh, that's hot. That's hot. It's hot right now. Cancel. So hot right now. Cancel. Let's explore and cool of the week. Very well. Where do I begin? All right, cool of the week. I'm going with a uh, sport that I played many years ago, uh, only a couple of times, maybe even once, and uh, was out uh, the other day with a good friend of mine uh, from Brandon, Manitoba. Big uh, tip of the cap to Rob Smith. The other Rob Smith that I grew up, I grew up with two guys in Brandon, town of 40,000, both named Rob Smith, both in my grade. Uh, one was East End, one was West End. Uh, so I was with East End uh, Rob Smith playing disc golf. I love this sport. I I'm, I'm, can't wait to get out and try it again. Um, I was at one time a big fan of uh, actual golf, and it's really expensive. Disc golf, you pay for the discs, you don't pay for green fees, and you get a good walk in the park. And it takes, obviously, a degree of skill. So uh, there's disc golf courses in Spruce Grove. That's where we were. We're at Jubilee. It's an awesome course. Uh, great for a beginner, as I found out, because I am not great at this. But uh, I, I, did, I didn't think it was going to be that strenuous until uh, the next day and the day after. And I'm like, wow. I got some sore muscles here, but it was fun. Uh, the courses uh, they have run at Rundle Park. I think there's one in Beaumont. There's one in Morinville that I'm going to check out. So if you're looking at something different um, and you want uh, not a ton of impact, it's nice low impact because you're just walking and you know you carry a backpack or a bag with some discs in it. It's fun. Uh, there's a challenge to it. Uh, there's uh, some different techniques. So you can find some stuff online to learn how to actually throw the disc properly. Uh, but I'm a big fan of disc golf, and I'm going to get into it a lot more as uh, the summer goes and uh, hopefully next summer as well. So that's for me, cool of the week, going with a little disc golf. And finally, we'll wrap up the show with what I would do if I was obscenely rich. This is the, the obscenely rich list. I, I would love to hear from you. What would you do if you were obscenely rich? Uh, drop me a line on Twitter, at DuckMillard. Tell me what you would do if you were obscenely rich. This is what my dad and mom and I used to do on road trips is uh, we would talk about what we would do with uh, winning the lottery. So if I did, I would have a big ranch and, um, you know, it would be a private uh, ranch that uh, I'm not looking to make money. I just love animals. But in the ranch house, in the basement, I would have three barber chairs with a private barber who would come out twice a week uh, or for whenever I had guests if they need it. I love uh, hot towel shaves and, and uh, um, whatever the, the blade is that the straight razor. I love them. They're accurate. I go to Mike's Barbershop in St. Albert. It's awesome. Uh, Marv does a wonderful job. Uh, Jay, I got a shave from there. He was great as well. Uh, so I love, uh, and I love being trimmed, but I, I just, the, the, you know, I, I, I was in TV for so long that I couldn't ever grow a beard. I could grow a mustache whenever we did Movember, but couldn't really grow a beard. So then I got into radio. I'm like, I'm growing a beard. Actually, the reason I started growing my beard is when I was uh, first diagnosed with depression and anxiety, I wanted to hide. So I thought growing a beard would be uh, hiding me from people because when I was on television, you get recognized a little bit. I didn't want to be recognized because I was in a bad state. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to grow a beard. And I love beards now. And I love tri uh, the, the the styles that you can get. I grew one as uh, Walter Sobchak for a, a Lebowski bowling tournament that we had, a Lebowski Kingpin Fest, it was called. Um, so I would have a private barber that would come in. I would go every day, get cleaned up, or every second day, shaves, uh, haircuts, everything like that. 
uh, comes out, don't have to go anywhere, make sure it's done. And then if I ever was having an event and guests were in town and they wanted a quick shave, we could arrange that. So that's what I would do if I was obscenely rich. And uh, that's it. Uh, that's it for this obscenely poor uh, guy hosting a podcast. Uh, once again, uh, I'd like to thank Low Tide for joining the program. It was a lot of fun discussing uh, his life in broadcasting and his views on the Edmonton Oilers this year. And um, also, uh, I want to remind you that uh, 12-Ounce Sports Radio Network is where I'll be daily starting September 3rd at 2 p.m. Mountain Time. Sports and more live will hit the airwaves. We will quench your thirst for sports. Thanks very much, everybody. Reminder, no podcast next week. I'm on vacation, so we will talk to you again in August. Playtime is over. Just thank you for all the nice things you do each day. And I want to do nice things for you, my baby. This is the Sports and More podcast with Dean Millard. Spending your time here with